Julie Ryan, noted psychic and medical intuitive, is ready to answer your personal questions, even those you never knew you could ask. For more than 25 years, as she developed and refined her intuitive skills, Julie used her knowledge as a successful inventor and businesswoman to help others. Now, she wants to help you to grow, heal, and get the answers you've been longing to hear. Do you have a question for someone who's transitioned? Do you have a medical issue? What about your pet's health or behavior? Perhaps you have a loved one who's close to death and you'd like to know what's happening. Are you on the path to fulfill your life's purpose? No matter where you are in the world, take a journey to the other side and ask Julie Ryan. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Ask Julie Ryan Show. I'm Julie, your host, and I'm so delighted you could join us this week. My intention in doing this show is to provide information, insight, and comfort to people all around the world by helping to answer life's unanswerable questions. And we have a really special show for you this week because normally we tape on, uh, we record the show on Thursdays. And since Thanksgiving comes on Thursday, we recorded the show early. And I have a special guest this week. And his name is J.A. Plosker. And what a great guy. You guys are going to love him. I was on his show, and he'll tell us about his show. But I was on his show, and I was just enamored with him, delighted, just a, a smart, kind, insightful uh, guy who has, I think, a lot of great things to teach us. And I think you guys are all going to love hearing him and hearing what his work is all about and hearing how it can help all of us in our daily lives. So welcome to the show, sir. Well, thank you very much, Julie. It's so wonderful to be here. And thank you for that wonderful introduction. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. I'm not done yet. I'm just welcoming you before (laughs) I read your bio. And I, and I, I took the liberty of editing this a little, which all my listeners will know is no big surprise. So, okay. Uh, okay, so here here is what I've got. You're not rich, famous, or ordained, but after two degrees in religion and advanced degrees in social work and the law, that means he's a lawyer, you guys. He's got a law degree. He's still the same guy he always was, and he knows that's where true happiness lives. J.A. spent years teaching comparative religion and philosophy to university students looking for answers to life's most difficult questions, and a few easy ones, too. He's also worked as a social worker and a counselor. He's the author of the award-winning book, The Nobody Bible, Uncovering the Simple Wisdom in Ordinary Life, and is the host of the Nobody Guide to Life podcast, and that's the show that I was on. So... Again, I just think your background is fascinating, and you have, I know you're a a fairly young guy, and I know that you, when I spoke with you, you you seem to have so much wisdom that I think is applicable to all of us, regardless of how we were raised and, and what our life experiences are. I think the wisdom that you, uh, you impart on people or you talk about or you teach, it really has has application to all of us, regardless of where we are in our lives and what's happening in our lives. So um, well, you are you yeah, are a very you're a very impressive young man. Let me put it that way. Well, thank you. I just want to build, you know, I just want to build bridges. I mean, at the end of the day, that's really 
what it's about. I mean, we all can stand in our own truth, but we have to somehow connect those. We have to connect them. We have to connect them. That's the only way. Yeah. Well, is that, is that, I was laughing when I was preparing for this show and I, and I thought, okay, he's a professor of religion and philosophy. He's a lawyer and he's a social worker. How do all those skill sets fit together? I mean, how did you combine <laughs> all that into, is it just all part of the soup that, that you stir and then different ingredients come out in the form of wisdom, different things to teach people. Tell us about that. Well, you know, look, the way I always say it is I, I just enjoyed, I just enjoyed being in school. I, you know, some people enjoy cooking. Some people enjoy needle for whatever things are that, that people are passionate about. And school was just something I was passionate about. And I, I just followed my interests from degree to degree. And there was always a mentor there to help me. There was always somebody encouraging me to that next step. And I think all of the steps that I've taken, all the professions that I've had have really been very heavy into listening and, you know, taking in what other people have to say. You know, this isn't my wisdom. I, I didn't invent any of this. These truths, these, these, these nuggets of wisdom they're ancient and they come down to us through history, through individuals. So in all the jobs I've ever had, it's been very important to me to listen to what others have to say. So it's collected wisdom. And then, like you said, you stir it up and you start to read situations and people. And I think if you listen carefully enough, you can access which teaching somebody might really need to hear in the moment, following your instincts. So all the jobs I've had have kind of all worked towards that. Mm-hmm. Well, that makes sense. Are there certain questions that you find people have in common? Are there, I, lo- I love in your book, you say that, that most of your college students um, just wanted an easy humanities credit. And some of them actually had questions. They were seekers, and they were trying to find out information that were that involved questions that were more of a soul searching kind of a, a bend. Had more of a soul searching bend to them. Are there right. are there maybe two or three questions that you find are really common with people across the board? Well, you know, it's funny. People come to people come to religious studies or philosophy sometimes thinking they're just going to kind of sleep their way through class, you know, just kind of snooze in class and get an A. And then they would arrive in my class and realize that, you know, when you're teaching religious studies or philosophy, it's also part psychology. You know, it's part religion, it's part philosophy, it's part psychology. And students would sit up straighter and straighter as the semester went on and questions would come out like, you know, does any of this matter? Is any of this real? Is any of this true? I mean, these are the big, big, big questions that people would come with. And some people had that question before they came to class. And some people developed that question while they were in class. They would come to office hours and we would have these discussions around these concepts about what truth really is and what faith really is and why it does or does not matter to individuals. So students were always asking those really, really big questions. And it was very impressive to see. And it was very wonderful to hear the diversity of answers that, that, would, that would come out in, in classroom settings. It was very interesting. Well, I got I to gotta tell you, J.A., when I was in college and I hated school, 
I mean, I did it because I knew I had to do it, but I just wanted to get out. I'm an entrepreneur, so I just want to get out and, you know, get going. But I had to take a philosophy class. I hated it. I absolutely <laughs> hated it. And I thought, this this stuff just doesn't make any sense to me. Um, but it was it was the kind of stuff where it was, and this is a question and I'm making this up, but something like, if the sun's out and it's raining, there won't be the sidewalk won't be wet or some kind of just bizarre <laughs> stuff like that that I had to take and and I, I have to tell you my dad was in the seminary. My dad was studied to be a priest and left about six right. months before he was to be ordained. And this was after World War Two. We went on the GI Bill, and right. he lived at at the um, housing part that their housing complex, I guess they call it in Rome, called the North American College, where they send all the scholars and, you know, it, it is the cream of the crop that go right. to Rome to the seminary and they call it the Pope's Harvard. And he graduated with a degree in philosophy, a master's in philosophy and a master's in philosophy from the Gregorian University at the Vatican, which is right. where St. Thomas Aquinas studied and these like <laughs> famous philosophers. And we had many discussions about how it didn't make sense to me. And I was just like, God, Dad, how did you do this? Oh, my God. <laughs> so my question along those lines is, is philosophical study just for crusty academics? Or can the average person benefit from knowing its principles and, and utilize them? Well, I think, you know, it's a good question. And it's, it's a necessary question because these things show up in college catalogs and People just coming, you know, right out of high school are jumping right into college, and these courses are available to them. And a lot of times, students don't think they have any practical application. And I think what I got out of my years of study of philosophy and religion and ancient cultures, and what I continue to get out of my ongoing study, is the idea of constantly challenging what I believe, constantly thinking and rethinking about my principles, and how I can apply them. So when I approached teaching philosophy and religion, it wasn't really about imparting a set of, you know, knowledge pieces that students could assemble into a truth. It was really about having a discussion. Now, that's not everybody's approach, but that was my approach. And I think the value of courses like that is their ability to get us to think and then rethink, and then we take that out into the world. I had students who were bitterly opposed in class when we would talk about ethics or religion, and I had students break into tears because of something another student said. But by the end of the semester, through rehabbing and getting these students to talk to each other, I actually had some students become friends, and they still had opposing viewpoints, but in class, they came to such an appreciation of what the other believed that they actually remained friendly throughout college. So to me, that's, that's the, not just the importance of these classes, but the absolute imperative of them is that we take them for what they are, which are opportunities to learn and grow. That's how I taught them. That was my approach. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and it brings to mind people talk about this climate that we're in, especially in America, with the, the polar opposites for political right. views and all of that. And it seems that 
at least the way the media portrays it, that people are just really being snarky with each other. And in some cases, really downright violent um, with people who have opposing views. They're vandalizing cars and homes and things like that. And I, and I know that, that it's portrayed to us by the media that, that it's, it's all new. And I don't think it is. I think it's always been there in every culture. I think that with the 24 hour news cycle, we're just inundated with more of the stories and they got to find ways to fill the 24 hours that they're on the air. But it seems to me that, that what you just mentioned about, uh, you know, people being able to respect another's view and, and really remain friends with them is what we've done throughout the ages. Right. Right. And we almost come to a point where we have to, when we're sitting in the middle of, of, when we're sitting in the middle of, I don't know if sometimes when we're running a bath and we turn it all the way to hot and we're like, ah, 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 that's really hot. Then you turn the thing all the way back to cold and you go, Oh my God, that's really cold. But after a few minutes, if you just sit patiently, what happens? Of course, the water comes to a set point that is just right. And I think when you're sitting in a hot bath or a cold bath, like we are right now in this world, it's really, really, really hard to remember that, the human condition exists and persists because people do eventually find some sort of equilibrium. And you're always going to have, look, I start, I open the nobody Bible with a picture of a diagram where you have the far left and the far right and everything else in the middle. And that's, it's meant to be fun at the outset, but what that really is is sort of a prayer for patience, because I think most of us eventually do find ourselves in a place of, the middle. And like you said, we're so inundated with the hots and the colds of the world that we forget that most of the time in our daily life, we actually have found people in places of comfort that make us feel good. And if we can connect more and learn more from those places, then I think there, there is hope, but you're right. This 24 hour news cycle keeps us all on edge, makes it very difficult for us to be patient or remain calm when things get difficult. So that's, that's, that's a very good analogy you make with the 24-hour news cycle, because I, I, I think that's, that's absolutely working against, uh, you know, the, the, the common good. And ironically, mm-hmm. I think early on in the 24-hour news cycle era, it actually did good things because it could show us immediately what's happening anywhere on the planet. The problem is now, like you said, we don't get a break from it. And we connect on social media and the people that used to be our safe places, they're summing up posts that might go against what we believe. Or they're, they're posting videos of, of, of atrocities and it, we, we can't, we, there's no safe place anymore to find calm. It, it, at least that's what it feels like unless we disconnect. Mm-hmm. I agree. Well, and I think too, that when we really, stop and think about all of the different cultures and all of the different nationalities and all of the different philosophies. My goodness, look at the civil war. Look at the, look at the independence. Um, you know, when we were getting independence from, right. from England and the revolutionary war and the, and the civil war and the uh, civil rights movement and all that stuff. I mean, certainly there were, very polar opposite forces at play there and, and philosophies and all that. But at the end of the day, we all want 
what's best for ourselves, our loved ones, our families, our, you know, we're all about having good lives for our children and taking care of parents and sometimes elderly parents. And we all go through the same kind of drama and trauma in our lives, obviously to different differing degrees, but I don't think it's new. I think it's been around since the beginning of time. I mean, my, the Bible for heaven's sakes is full of all of that stuff. I mean, the right. Bible is as violent as anything. I, I don't, I do my best not to watch violent stuff. Because it's just, I'm too visual. It just, I remember the pictures. The pictures stay in my head. So my husband, Tim Day, he'll, he'll, if I come in a room, come in the media room and he's watching some really violent movie and I can hear it when I come downstairs, you know, he knows, he turns it off. I don't want to watch it. I don't want to watch it. I don't want to hear it. I, I just, I'm not interested. And so when we're, when we're, he'll say, well, honey, you want to watch a movie tonight? then he'll ask me what I want to watch. And it's, it's invariably, you know, something that's a rom-com or something touching or historic, or I like documentaries a lot too, but I don't want to watch that really violent stuff. I'm not interested. Well, you brought up an interesting point. point. Yeah. Well, I think you brought up something interesting. You said we all want what's, you know, best for, you know, for for us and our family. I, I think that, that statement is the, that's the unspoken rallying cry for compassion. So the right. compassionate voices in our culture, and we say, well, how can you be compassionate towards X, Y, Z? And I think because the motivating factor for, at least in my opinion, it might be different for someone else, but at least from what I've seen and, 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 and heard, the motivation a lot of times for what we see that we disagree with is fear. So exactly. if we can, if we can stop before we judge and put out an energy of compassion instead of reaction, because the person we're looking at and judging probably is not motivated by what we might say is just pure hatred. Underlying that, if we actually flew to where that person was, bought them coffee and sat down with them for an hour, we would probably discover some story that mirrors something in our own life that we've been afraid of. And we took action that might be different than the action they took, but it's that connecting, connecting the dots of fear that prompts us to react with compassion. And that's why that takes practice. That's a muscle that you have to build over time. And by building bridges to other people and having conversations and taking religious studies classes, taking philosophy classes, you exercise that muscle and you build that compassion muscle. And I think that can pay huge dividends. So, uh, you know, I, I, at least that's another, that's another of my little plugs for taking religion and philosophy courses. Oh, I agree. And I think when we, to your point, when we feel fear or hatred or disgust or anything that we in human as humans decide is a negative feeling, that's a red flag. And that to me is, it's a red flag that I need to look at this as from a different perspective, because my spirit, my soul, that doesn't match what my spirit and my soul knows to be the truth. And to your point, I have developed that muscle. And it is a habit. Yeah. And, and when I feel that, buddy, I immediately switch to, okay, I'm looking, I need to look at this from a different perspective. And it immediately right. eradicates that 
uncomfortable feeling. Right. And so the other thing that is really interesting with people when they're very opinionated on things, and I think a lot of that just comes from us being taught generations and through religions and cultures and things. Bottom line, my experience, J.A., is that all, everybody goes to heaven. All spirits go to heaven. You know that movie, All Dogs Go to Heaven? Right, right. All humans go to heaven, too. And all of the drama and the, the what's good, what's bad, all of that is a human judgment. I don't see any judgment in the spirit world. And I was having a discussion. We were at dinner with some people, and, and I didn't know these people very well. And something came out about evil and you know, Hitler and blah, 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 blah. And somebody said to me, would well, you think Hitler went to heaven? I said, absolutely, his spirit went to heaven. I said, his human side, because we're all spirits attached to a body having a human experience. I said, the human side of him, which was the part that we judged as evil as human, all stayed with his body. When his spirit separated from his body, did he go to heaven? Absolutely. Everybody goes to heaven. And, and we, there, I don't believe there's judgment in the spirit world. I don't, I think all of that, and you're the religious scholar, so we can debate this, but my belief based on 25 years of doing woo-woo and everything I've seen is that, um, that that was all put together by cultures and religions to control the masses and the masses up until recently were illiterate. Right. So it was all oral. You know, all the teachings were oral. And, and, you know, you think about all of the history that went on in the world's great religions. And I see that it was all, it was all designed to control the masses. What do you, what do you think about that? Well, whether or not we, we can, you know, whether or not you want to debate the metaphysics of it, the, the line for me always seems to be if, if your car broke down on a snowy night and somebody pulled up behind you that was friendly and wanted to help, would you ask them about their religion? Would you ask them about their sexual orientation? Would you ask them about their heritage? Or would you just be so appreciative that this soul and your soul met on this snowy night when you needed it most, if that's, that's the line that that's the discussion we need to have with ourselves before we make judgments. So whether or not there is judgment in a heaven, whether or not people all go to the same place, the point is for now, for this blink of infinity, we are all in the same place. And this is our opportunity. People talk about creating heaven on earth, whatever your conception of heaven is. Applying that tire blown in the snow test really helps to reframe how we think about others, how we judge their experience. Whatever the news says to us, if somebody on the opposite end of the political spectrum pulled up behind my car in the snow and wanted to help me, I would not turn them away because of their political beliefs. That is where the rubber hits the road, I guess in terms of judgment for me, regardless of the metaphysics of it. I mean, would, would you agree with that? Absolutely. And, and I'm listening to you, and I want to say to all of our audience this week, you guys see why I love this guy? I mean, you just cut to the chase. You make it simple. 
these analogies are very applicable and they make total sense. And everybody in their right mind is going to go, duh, of course. Well, of course. Yeah, yeah well. absolutely. I think absolutely. And, and one, one quick thing about judgment, I wanted a quick story I wanted to share with you and everybody listening. When my dad died, and again, my dad drank the serious Catholic Kool-Aid because he was in the seminary, you know, and almost became a priest. And when he was dying, we got a call. He had a medical procedure, and he crashed on the table in the OR. Um, actually, he wasn't even in the OR. He was in a, in a cath lab. And I uh, got a call from my brother, and so we drove all night, eight hours, and we got to Columbus from Birmingham, and he was on a ventilator, and he was in ICU. And, of course, I was telepathically talking to him the whole time we were on the way. And my mom had died about four years before my dad. So anyways, my dad lasted a couple of days, and and I would sit with him all night long. My, the rest of the clan would be in there during the day, and then I would do night duty. I'd come in at four and stay with him all night. And and uh, I really like doing that because I have the opportunity to talk to the staff, the nurses and the doctors late at night when they're not as busy and it's quiet. And I sat there and read my book and held his hand. But I could communicate with him telepathically and I could tell if he was in pain. I could tell what was going on. And the nurses were going, well, how do you know this stuff? And said, well, <laughs> here's how I know. But anyways, I, I kept saying to him, Dad, are you ready to go? And he said, no, I'm afraid to die. And I said, why are you afraid to die? You know, I mean, the angels are going to take you to heaven. And he said, well, I'm afraid I'm going to go to hell or, you know, or, or, or best case scenario, purgatory. Because, you know, again, he drank all the Catholic Kool-Aid. So I said, Dad, it doesn't exist. And he said, well, how do you know? I said, I've never, in all the families for all these years with whom I've worked, when they have a loved one dying, I've never seen the angels drop somebody into a burning pit. <laughs> no, right. ever. Right. A fiery pit. And so I was telling my girlfriend, who's a psychologist about this, we've been friends since childhood, and she said, is, uh, is there anybody in the room who's a deceased clergy member? Because in my 12 phases of transition, J.A., and I know you've read my book, you know, our loved ones and we, when we're dying, we're all going to be surrounded by angels and our deceased loved ones. So I said, yeah, there is. And there was a, there were lots of clergy, lots of priests, and one in particular that was a very dear friend of our family who so had just died about six months prior. His name was Father Hanley. And I, she said, well, ask him if he'll intervene. So I'm talking to Father Hanley's spirit, and I said, hey. My dad's afraid to die. Can you help? Well, J.A., next thing I know, there's Hanley standing next to my dad's right shoulder, and wow. there's, a, there's a Pope's spirit standing next to him at my dad's right shoulder, and the room is full of all these dead Popes. I'm going, okay. Wow. And they got all their Pope outfits on, you know, their hats and their vestments and all this jazz. And I said to Father Hanley, who's that? And he said, it's Pope Pius XII. And I thought, well, duh, of course it is, because he was in office when my dad was in the seminary in Rome. And when my dad's bishop from Columbus would come over for his his annual meeting with the Pope, he always took my dad in with him. And my dad was in Pius XII's private study on more than one occasion. So, of course, it's Pius. So Pius says to my dad, Tom, you know, come on, we're waiting for you. There's no hell. When you're ready, come on. We're, we're all here. We're all waiting for you. And, 
and you know, just come on. My dad died wow. later that evening. Jay. Wow. My father, God bless my friend Angela, the psychologist, who said he doesn't believe you're an authority on the church, which I'm not. He, she yeah. said he needs to hear somebody who he considers an authority on the church tell him there is no hell, there is no purgatory. Right. And Pope Pius XII fit that bill, and then a room full of dead <laughs> popes. And as soon as they said, we're ready for you, come on, and, and I could see my dad got that, then they all they all vanished. And then the wow. regular, you know, family and friends spirits were there. So I can read all this stuff about, you know, there is a hell, there isn't a hell, all that stuff. You know what? I saw this room full of dead popes. My dad, <laughs> I see you, Todd, when he was yep. dying. And my dad believed him and he died a couple of hours later. So right. that's all the proof I need for me personally. Right. Yeah. Right. So I don't and know I that, that I've ever shared this. I love that you share these messages, uh, you know, because it just gets it just gets these angles out there for people to consider before judgment is passed. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Well, we let me let me break for a second. We'll come back to more questions with you. I just wanted to let everybody know we do this show. I do the Ask Julie Ryan show every Thursday night. We record it at eight Eastern, seven Central, and five Pacific. The call-in number is 712-770-4160, and the access code is 533-677-POUND. You can find this information anywhere you download podcasts. I believe we're on about 40 networks, iTunes, Stitcher, iHeart, Google Play, Spreaker, you know, bunches of them, and uh, it's all in the show notes, and then also on YouTube at Ask Julie Ryan, all this information is in the show notes. Go to my site, AskJulieRyan.com. This information's on the homepage. And, uh, and while you're there, sign up for my blog. That's a question that somebody has submitted online, and then I answer it, and I choose a different one each week. And while you're there, sign up for a private session, and then we'll have a whole hour to chat about whatever you want to talk about. I like to tell everybody I'm a businesswoman that learned how to do woo-woo, and I'm a buffet of psychicness. So we can talk to your deceased loved ones. I can scan you medically. We can communicate with your pets. We can do spirit guide stuff, past life stuff. Usually in that hour, we'll cover a bunch of different topics, and it makes it really fun. And it's always an honor and a privilege for me to have you to myself for a whole hour. And, and, and I really appreciate you letting me into your life during, uh, for a short time during that time, too. So um, be sure to do that. Okay, so let's go back to, let's see what my next question is for you, kind sir. I have, where can people turn for guidance and relief when they're feeling discombobulated? I like that word. <laughs> is the wisdom of the great saints, philosophers, and teachers available to everybody? And if so, how do we access it? Have you ever heard of Cozy Earth Bedding? It's your ultimate luxury escape. Cozy Earth sheets are temperature regulating and incredibly soft, and they even have a 10-year warranty. They're made from organic bamboo and silk, are hypoallergenic, and even antimicrobial. Cozy Earth sheets are so amazing, they've been on Oprah's favorite things list for five years in a row, and I have them on my bed right now. So if you're ready to elevate your sleep, 
Cozy Earth has a special offer for just for my listeners. Go to CozyEarth.com and use the code AskJulie for a 35% discount. That's C-O-Z-Y Earth.com and use code AskJulie for a 35% discount. Upgrade your sleep with Cozy Earth Bedding. I love them and so will you. Well, you know, look, that, that's going to differ for everybody. I was interested in, from the time, when, when I, my whole life I've been interested in, in, in spiritual and religious things. It was just something of interest to me. When I got to college, religion was something I enjoyed, and I kept studying that. And so when I wrote the Nobody Bible, which are these tips and tools that we can use for what you just described, I looked to the, to the ancients. I look to the books on my bookshelf. Some people look to painting. Some people look to sculpture. Some people care for animals, and that's their way of centering. For me, I looked to the tools of ancient wisdom. And I, the answer that I would have to your question is, yes, these tools are available to everyone. I don't believe that a person has to pick an absolute way and that's the way. I, there are so many beautiful things that come to us from the ancients. Mindfulness practice, meditation practice, picking any of the one of the Ten Commandments and making that the focus of our day every day and gearing our lives toward that. These tools exist. And by the way, we already know how to use them. You know, we already know how to let people in in traffic and do a kind deed. We already know how to exercise patience with our children. How many times have we sat in a meeting and sat quietly and patiently and focused on what was being said? We already know how to use these ancient, ancient tools. And that was what was so exciting about writing the Nobody Bible is when I dove into these ancient traditions, I realized that what for me was the most real and amazing and lofty teachings of history we were already doing so many of them. And when I had clients in counseling looking for tools, these were things they could relate to as well. And when I told, told clients whenever that, hey, do you realize you're actually doing something that's ancient, that's 2,000, 3,000 years old? It creates, it does something to a person when they suddenly realize that they're making this ancient connection just by doing one simple thing in their day. So, so can you give us some examples? Give us some examples. Sure. sure. So, look, I, I had a teacher uh, give a whole lecture once about don't envy. A whole lecture on this. And, you know, the takeaway is when you go out into your day, instead of experiencing jealousy or hatred of others, try to develop instead a new habit, a new way of thinking, which is what we were just talking about, of truly finding joy in another person's success or truly wishing people well. That's an example of something we all know how to do. That's a tool that's available to us from the ancient world. This isn't new. I'm not inventing new things here. What an ama- If you woke up every morning and committed yourself to going out in the world and committing yourself to not being envious, you'd probably reach enlightenment very quickly. I mean, imagine, imagine practicing patience 
this ancient, ancient aspiration of being calm and patient. So you wake up every morning, you say, all right, thousands of years of people have tried to do this. I'm going to join that. On your way to work, you let someone in. With an impatient coworker, you bite your tongue for a few minutes and listen to what they have to say. What if you just committed yourself to that one practice? Being mindful, this ancient technique of observing the moment without judgment. What if you woke up every morning and jumped on the wave of this ancient practice and committed yourself to check in with yourself through the day and took action based on the moment instead of reacting? These tools are all here. What if you printed out the yin-yang symbol, this ancient, amazing symbol of balance and flow, and you carried it with you in your wallet all day and committed yourself to finding balance in your day, maybe shutting off the computer and going to play with your kids, maybe leaving work a little bit early. These symbols and tools from ancient times are things we already use we already know how to do it. I bang that drum. I've been banging it for years, beating that drum over and over. The most ancient tools of history are not only available to us now, but we actually use them, all of them. And that was the, that was the nobody Bible. That was the genesis of that. And so, yes, there are a thousand and one and a million and one tools to use when we feel discombobulated which is a wonderful word, and I'm glad you used it. And that's such an aha moment, I think, not only for me, but for everybody listening to this, J.A., is that, well, who knew? So a lot of this stuff that we're using really has come down from the ancients, you know, the saints and philosophers and, and uh, um, you know, Buddha and Confucius and, heck, Moses, and <laughs> you just put them kind yeah. of all together in one okay. big posse that are, uh, you know, that are advising us on what to do. But you've done, I think, a masterful thing in taking those principles and applying them to everyday life and to point out to us that we're doing, we're already doing a lot of them. We just need to be more cognizant of the fact that we're doing them so that we can create these habits um, to, to feel better. And when we feel better, we treat people better. And when we treat people better, it's just like a domino effect goes, goes out in, in all directions, I think. And, and so. Julie, this doesn't minimize issues that come up in a day. I, I think sometimes people think, well, life isn't easy. You know, it's hard. It's, it's not as easy as just being mindful. Right. But the point of the Nobody Bible is the events uncovering the simple wisdom in ordinary life. The events of everyday life, letting someone in in traffic, leaving work a little early to go to your kid's school play, saying a kind word, becoming aware of your state of being before you speak. These are the events of an ordinary life that reveal to us our wisdom. And it's deep. It's deep, deep wisdom. And that's the genesis of that word, nobody. You know, people think, oh, nobody has such a negative connotation. No. Nobody, according at least to my teachers, is the highest state. 
Because when we commit ourselves to using these tools and building these muscles, what happens? We become a canvas, a blank canvas, a mirror to the world. If we think before we speak, we think before we judge, we put patience before rage. When we do these things, we disappear. Our ego disappears and we become nobody. We let the world have an opportunity to reflect what we really believe. That's the genesis of nobody. And we do it through simple, simple, simple tools that we can use in everyday life. Nothing could be more important, at least for me, at least for me and the people I live with. Nothing could be more important than this. Well, and perhaps when you become a, in your words, a nobody, it really helps you focus on your authentic self to become a somebody, but it's an authentic sure. somebody instead of just a lemming going through the motions every day, <laughs> you know, just, yeah. I mean, and, and then the years go by and you think, oh my God, I, yeah. you know, what have I done with my life? I feel like I've just, I've just been almost like a robot getting up and doing the same thing every day. And I think that's why so many moms, especially when their kids go off to college, is when they really feel it and and their whole lives have been revolved around their children. And then they're like, okay, now what? And uh, I had several friends that went through that. It it was really traumatic for them. It was really traumatic. So, well, back to the nobody thing, is is it – possible for those of us that don't have a background in these different historic um, religions and philosophies and cultures to feel like we can't we have a calling and and our, and what is our life's purpose I get that question asked a lot JA people will say well I, I'm trying to figure out what my life's purpose is can you speak to that a little bit about about how we can can look at uh, history and these, you know, all these uh, philosophers and saints and just people throughout history that have been leaders and and uh, movers and and disruptors and and have created new new philosophies and movements and stuff and and how do we know if if that's what we're supposed to do and, and do we have to do something on a big scale in order to affect our, our family and our small universe and our larger universe, our communities, our country, our world. That's a lot of questions altogether. So I'll let you, I'll let you throw all those together in your answer. How about that? Yes. Thank you for not asking any big questions today. I really appreciate that. It's, um, Yes. Well, I'll put it to you the way that um, one of my, my, I just, I'll just refer to them as my teacher. So the way my teacher put it to me, what is the purpose of life? And this, this, this was a teaching that knocked me backwards, blew me out the back wall and just launched me into the parking lot and I'm still reeling from it. What is the purpose of life? The purpose of life is whatever you're doing right now. Now, that's it. That's the short answer. Wow. Because I think, well, because I look, and it depends on how many, look, we could have an eight hour discussion about the diverging paths of karma and past lives, whatever. But I, for me, for me, the purpose of my life is whatever I'm doing right now. My whole life has led up to this interview. 
So if I were to ask you, what's the purpose of my life? The purpose of my life right now is having this interview with you. I'm putting everything into this interview. I've talked to you. I respect you. I respect your listeners. I'm eager to get this message out to people. This is the purpose of my life. Now, when I hang up this phone and I go to play with my kiddo, that's the purpose of my life. I have to give all of my attention to her because my whole life has led up to whatever book we're reading. My whole life has led up to watching her go down the slide at the park. So that's the very, very basic answer to your question. So in my opinion, what is the purpose of life? The purpose of life is whatever you're doing right now. Take it up a step. You set a goal and you make the secondary purpose of your life. All the little events that you're doing in the now lead to some goal in the future. Now, that's not a popular opinion with everybody, but that's how it is. If you want to write a book, if you think that's your purpose, okay, then right now you owe it to yourself to focus completely on work so that you can get your work done efficiently so that you can carve out the time later to reach that goal. So what is our purpose? Our purpose is whatever we're doing right now. Our purpose is whatever our dream is. Our purpose is whatever we can stand behind and something we want to move towards. I mean, I, I, would you agree? Is that, is, that, is, the, is the answer big enough to encompass the question? Because that was a <laughs> heck of a question, Julie. Yeah, it was. It was. I kind of went down a rabbit hole there. Sorry about that. Uh, <laughs> I, I believe that all of us have a purpose in life. And I believe that our purpose is to create and have fun. I love that. Simple as that. Oh. And I think that goes hand in hand with what you just said. Absolutely. And, and whether, that, whether that creation is you and I are going to do an interview and it's going to be in place of my normal Thanksgiving show or my normal show that would be taped on Thanksgiving or to your point, you're going to go play with your baby after the show, uh, I think it's to create. And I think it also is we're supposed to have fun in life. I think we oh, get so we get so bogged down by the um, minutia of life that that if we can figure out a way to make even things that we dread doing fun, it just enhances our life. For instance, I'm not crazy about folding laundry. I mean, it's, I don't hate it, but it's not something that I am going to, gee, gee, I can't wait to fold laundry later this afternoon kind of a thing. But what I'll do is I'll either have a uh, podcast going that I'm listening to in the laundry room, or I'll have a book on tape, you know, on Audible that I'm listening to. Or sometimes I have Motown playing on my stereo and it's great. Right. And I'm right. dancing while I'm folding towels or sheets or whatever. And I think mm. if we can get creative and find ways to make just our everyday lives fun, it just enhances it. Every morning when I write down what my goals are the day, for the day are, it takes me two seconds. The first one is be happy, have fun, and enjoy the day. Those are my top three right. every day. And I find that the day runs smoother. It, it's my interactions with people are are normally joyful and pleasant. And if they're snarky for whatever reason, and I'm feeling, <laughs> I'm feeling fear, I'm feeling like I'm, I don't really get angry that much anymore. But if I was getting angry or something, that's my red flag. Like we talked about before, I need to look at this from a different perspective. Right. Okay. So right. 
the fact that I'm feeling those feelings that feel badly tells me my spirit, my soul saying, hey, Ryan, get a grip. Look at this from a different perspective. You're not looking at this from the right perspective. You know, change. And I I keep thinking of a snow globe. You know, we're getting into the holidays. Look at the snow globe from a different perspective and you have a beautiful vision. And and so what's the perspective? And then and then when I look at it from different perspectives, I know right away how it feels in my gut. And when I when all that unrest diminishes and it diminishes pretty fast, then I'll know I'm looking at it from the proper perspective. Right. And I, I want to emphasize a point here that I, we made before, but I want to say it again. Nothing that is being shared in this conversation in any way minimizes the pain or difficulties that we, that we go through as humans. You know, I, I think sometimes these conversations are heard and I maybe sometimes framed as, well, it's not so easy. Well, easy for you to say you're not X, Y, Z. And when we, one of the, the, the importances of what you just said about your three goals, regardless of the circumstances that we believe are waiting for us in a day, we have an opportunity to set at least an intention of positivity. This does not minimize death. This does not minimize suffering or sickness. This is an adjunctive that we add to our day to help us stay mindful of where we can find something positive. And I, cause I don't ever want this message to be heard as minimizing suffering or minimizing pain. And I, I think that's important because you saying that you write out those three goals is very important to hear because regardless of what happens when we put our feet on the floor to get our day started, we have the opportunity to set those intentions no matter what's waiting for us once our feet hit the carpet. I think that's an imp- a very important point you made about those, those three goals you set out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well said. And even to your point, when we're losing a loved one, I, I tell people all the time, and this is in my book, Angelic Attendance, is I always say, as you're going through this process, look for the miracles because mm. they're plentiful. They're all around yeah. you. People are going to show up that you don't expect. There's going to be, I mean, when my mother died, we were at the funeral home and my mom was a principal of a grade school. And so she knew zillions of people and had lived in that town for, you know, her whole life. She was fourth generation. We were fifth generation raised in Columbus, Ohio. And people came to the funeral home, J.A., and they told us stories about how she had helped their family during a tough time. I never heard any of those stories. I mean, it went <laughs> on, and people waited in line for two hours to see my dad at the wow. funeral home. And it was just so heartwarming. One of her dear friends, who I'd known all my life, told me about the time when her mother and mother-in-law died two days apart from each other. And she said, your mother showed up at my front door at 7 o'clock in the morning, the morning after my mother died, and she said, what do you need? And, wow. and this woman said, I need you to help me clean my house because we, I have all this company coming in from out of town and we've been at the hospital for two weeks. And my mother helped her clean her house. My mother didn't clean her own house. We had somebody come in and clean our house every week. Okay? 
this was after we'd all graduated. When we were grown up, we cleaned the house. And then when we left, she had somebody come in and clean the house, she and my dad. But stories like that, you know, those are, mir- those are miracles. Those are just heartwarming, wonderful miracles in my mind that help us get through things that are really tough. And no matter what we're going through, we all have them. We all have them every day. There's some kind of synchronicity, serendipity, whatever you want to call it. They're all miracles. They're all little and miracles. That's, that's the power of, of, again, the nobody concept. N- nobody doesn't mean nothing. It means stepping into your power. The idea that even if, even if your good deed doesn't go viral on the internet, even if cleaning someone's house doesn't hit the newspapers, it matters. It matters. And it, 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 it doesn't matter who's watching. You don't have to be rich, famous, or ordained to put a tool like that to use and to have it impact not only your life, but the lives of everyone around you. When your mother showed up at that door, she was a complete mirror for whatever that person needed to reflect. That's the power of dropping the ego and being available. I, I love that story. I, that's a perfect well, and- illustration of the power of these, these little things that we do. Yeah, and this story was told to me 30 years, 30 plus years after it happened. It still had that much impact on this woman. Her name, my mother's friend, she's still alive. Her name's Alice. And it still had that kind of impact on Alice. And all these stories, there was a woman that came up and told me that she, her husband walked out on her. She had five kids. They were all in this private Catholic school. And she went in to see my mom and she said, we I can't afford this. You know, I mean, my income has been slashed. I I can't do it. My mother said, you don't worry about it. And this woman said all five of her kids, she said they were from like first grade through sixth grade or something. She said all five of my kids went through that school tuition free because of your mother. Wow. Those are those kind of stories. I mean, you know, her kids were all out of college and adults at that point, but Stories like that, to your point, we don't have to be, um, uh, have all these alphabet soup degrees after our names like you do. <laughs> I mean, we appreciate that you have that, but we don't have to have that. We don't, to your point, have to be, you know, ordained. We don't have to. I tell people that, that the spirit and the body that are attached, most people think that the spirit's inside the body, J.A. I see that the body's inside the spirit. Right, so right. when you look at a picture of a religious person and you see their halo around their head or they're around their whole right. body, that's their energy field. It's their aura. Guess what? We all have that. We're all right. holy. We all have auras. We all have energy fields. We're right. no different than any of those people that we think of as, oh, my gosh, they were so holy. And my other favorite saying is, Every saint has a past and every sinner has a future. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> because I, I love that, that. You know, cuts to the chase that we all, you know, we're all holy and we all, regardless of what we think, we all, we all can, can uh, help each other. Okay. So we got a couple minutes left. Tell everybody where they can find more about you. Tell them about your show. Tell them about your book. Well, the Nobody Bible is on Amazon, or they can go to the nobodybible.com. If you go to nobodysview.com, there's more information there on the concept of nobody. You can go to the nobody life, the nobody guide to life.com to hear the podcast we're 
We're everywhere. We're on Spotify, just like you, iHeart, Spreaker, wherever you love to hear podcasts, that's where we are. And my podcast is really just about, I do interview shows and I do solo shows and I'm going to be launching a new venture in hopefully in January of 2019. So if people head over to the uh, Nobody's You or the Nobody Guide to Life, you can just watch for that. I'm going to be launching a YouTube channel there. I just want to get this message out to as many people as possible. And so I would love to have any of your listeners uh, contact me. Let me know if they have questions as well. So it's, okay. it's, just, it's just been really a lot of fun to do. Great. Well, and I'm going to have all this information in the show notes. So the, the link to the websites and, and um, a link to your podcast and all that will be in the show notes. So everybody will be able to, to find you that way. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me and, and to um, talk with everybody that's listening. I, I think that this is going to resonate with all of us. And I, I know I'm going to be mulling over this for the next few days. And, and uh, I re- really recommend this book, you guys. Go get it because it's just really something that it makes life easy and easier and bearable and it's the nobody bible uncovering the simple wisdom in ordinary life so with that everybody have a great week we'll be back on our regular schedule next week with callers and ja thanks again really appreciate it bye everybody thank you thank you for for the work you do you bet happy thanksgiving everybody bye-bye thanks for joining us Be sure to follow Julie on Instagram and YouTube at Ask Julie Ryan and like her on Facebook at Ask Julie Ryan. To schedule an appointment or submit a question, please visit AskJulieRyan.com. This show is for informational purposes only. It is not intended to be medical, psychological, financial, or legal advice. Please contact a licensed professional. The Ask Julie Ryan Show, Julie Ryan and all parties involved in producing, recording, and distributing it assume no responsibility for listeners' actions based on any information heard on this or any Ask Julie Ryan shows or podcasts. 